we know this industry has to be updated, the culture of it. See, when you say you want to diversify, then that means that you're willing to make changes that you've not ever thought of making. You're willing to think differently or open up your mind in different ways. And so we tend to be pretty straight at it and transparent. We're here to say, this is about the next generation of legends. And so we made a commitment to be in the game in that way, not half in it, but all the way in it. Welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast, where we speak with the entrepreneurs, innovators, disruptors, and influencers who are shaping the future of golf. My name is Colin Weston. I'm your host. And today, my guest is Jewel Love. This is a woman who I had the pleasure of meeting at the PGA show in Orlando about a month ago. Gosh, time flies. It's hard to believe it's almost a month now since, since then. And she is an advisor and a board member with Society 61 and the Society 61 Foundation. And they're doing impactful work and also the apparel they have is kind of awesome. So I had to stop and talk to Jewel, met some of their young ambassadors and said, could you please be on the Mod Golf Podcast? Love your story, love your energy. And Jewel was kind enough to uh, find some space in her incredibly hectic schedule to talk with us today. So... With that, Jewel, welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast. Thank you, Colin. Thank you for having Society 61 and thinking enough about what we're doing to bring us here so we could talk more about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's start with the name before we get into your connection to golf and all those good things that we're going to dig into as we always do on the Mod Golf Podcast. So the year 1960, the PGA, the Pro Golfers Association, added a clause to their guidelines with Article 3, Section 1. Can you please tell us what that is? Well, up until that point, the PGA in their bylaws had the Caucasian-only clause, Hmm. uh, which referenced who was eligible for membership. And that was clearly that it was only for white males and when Dr. Charlie Sifford was given his PGA tour card in 1961, then he became the first African-American on the PGA tour. Absolutely. And we've had the pleasure of having other Black-owned business founders on the show, between Dr. Michael Cooper and Jim Beatty, and telling the story of Charlie Sifford and the indignities that he had to put up with throughout his career, especially at the beginning, but all throughout the strength and the test of character that that gentleman has. Can you tell us a little bit about Mr. Sifford and the inspiration that has led without giving away completely what you're doing with Society 61 yet, but tell us a a bit about Charlie Sifford, please. I did have the pleasure of meeting Dr. Sifford. My father is a golfer, but also a big black golf historian. And so... Dr. Sifford carried a poise and a personality that allowed him to be the one Mm -hmm. um, to really break that barrier because that's not an easy barrier to break. Certainly, you're going to be called a number of unfortunate names. You're going to be put in places and spaces of, yes, being able to play golf, but that's going to be a heavy lift at times. He had a gentleness. He was fun and funny. He was always amenable to people when you would see him. 
And I often saw him when I came home to Charlotte, if there was something happening. So my dad is in a um, golf group called the Parbusters Golf Group. Okay. And Dr. Sifford would go to their clubhouse and play cards Mm. (laughs) often with them. And I found him to be so amazing and lovely. And I go back to the fact that there were other Black men who were as good, but they didn't make the choice even after Dr. Sifford was on the tour because they didn't trust, Mm. right? They didn't trust that they would be paid and they didn't want to deal with the racism that was being splattered all over Mr. Sifford. So they chose to continue to play golf on the Black tour (laughs) in the Black spaces where they could make the money that they knew that they would. I see. I see. Thank you for sharing a little bit of background with Dr. Sifford there. So I want to come back to you now. You started to touch on this a little bit with your father's connection and affinity for golf. So I want to learn more about yourself and your connection with golf. When was the first time in your life that you ever picked up a golf club? What was that experience like? And and who invited you to have that experience? Well, it's interesting. Some people say that the experience that I've had with golf is a bit of anomaly because I only saw black golfers because Mm -hmm. my dad played golf, was in a golf group because he was the director of tournaments, because he dealt with golf across multiple states and because he played golf all the time. I never looked at it as being only for a particular group or being so exclusive. And even though I didn't play golf growing up, I wish I had, Mm. I had a view of the sport that I think was pretty great. It wasn't until I was an adult, I was working in my career and I worked a whole lot. I was actually in my early thirties and I needed something to balance how much work I was doing. So I decided I'm going to play golf. All right. And I went and I took some lessons. And I got to tell you, at first, it was highly frustrating. It's highly <laughs> frustrating. But either you love it or you don't. And there's a moment. And I can remember I lived in Washington, D.C. at the time. And I was at the course that's down in Rock Creek Park. I was playing that course and something connected. I went through a hole, every shot I hit, the club connected with the ball. And that was a moment when it was like the turn for me. And I was like, oh, I love this. Mm. But I like challenges. Golf, as we know, is difficult. But it kept me outside for four or five hours. I needed that because I like to be balanced. And again, because I worked so much and I was traveling a lot, I wanted that element to look forward to. And if you fast forward to today, one of the things that the pandemic put at my feet to be able to take advantage of was making my golf game even better. Because I wasn't big on practicing. I was big on playing. Right. Um, And coming into the pandemic, I had a thumb injury which uh, had prevented me from playing for about a year. And when I 
came through. I just woke up one day and I had a trigger thumb. And when I came back through that, I decided I was like, wait a minute, I want my golf game to be even better. I was naturally slowly coming back into golf with my thumb because I was trying to make sure I didn't re-injure it or I wasn't having the pain. And so I took it to another level, started practicing. I got a coach, got a new bag of clubs and all of that good stuff. And so I love it. I'm just, I love, love, love. I love the game. I love the fact that I'm a golfer who primarily plays with men. I love the competition. I love the betting. And I like playing with people that are better than me because I want to be better. Yes. And so the game is special in so many ways. And I also get to play with my dad a lot because I'm really playing with his crew. golfers. So yeah, that's how I came into the game. Thanks for sharing that. I'm curious also, because we talk about the power of invitation, especially with women, if they don't play golf, for all those reasons that we've you know, been talking about for years, that it's intimidating, it doesn't feel welcoming. Your non-golf girlfriends, do you encourage any of them to come out? Have there been any onboarding or welcoming to them to the game? Have you had any experiences there personally as far as getting some of them to come out and try the game and, and perhaps take it up? You know, I've had some to talk about how they would love to play and one thing about my exposure to golf is that it's always been welcoming. I always say to them, listen, if you say you're ready and you want to play golf, you can best believe my father will have everything you need in like five minutes because the more the merrier. Mm -hmm. um, I have one friend who has played golf off and on and she knows how much I play. And so she keeps saying, I got to get out there with you. I think what tends to happen when other women know that you play golf. They want to connect you with their friends who are women that play golf. Right. And so she's in Chicago and she has a dear friend in DC. And she's like, I've got to connect you all because she is as hooked on golf as you are. But I can say this, anybody that's in my network, that's in my circle, that's in my sisterhood who wants to play, we're going to support them in playing and be there and provide the clubs you need to start out and encourage you because I think you need that when you start now with golf. Absolutely. I completely agree. Completely agree. Okay. So at the PGA show, once again, I'm walking down one of the aisles and all of a sudden I see your smiling face with your fantastic bedazzled glasses and you totally rock those. Amazing gravitated towards you and started up a conversation with Society 61 that was at the show. Could you tell our audience, our listeners here, about Society 61? We'll talk about the foundation in a, in a minute, but tell us about Society 61 and how you got involved as an advisor and a board member. Absolutely. The founder of Society 61 is Chris Fields, and he actually was moved to start the company after he watched the documentary Uneven Lies. And he had now a real new understanding about the history mm. of Black golf. And one of the things that happens when you know your history is you become self-actualized. And that's what happened to Chris. And he wanted to do something to support that history, pay homage to it, but he understood now why the game, the industry is not as diversified as it should be. So 
he decided to start Society 61, which is an apparel company, and give it a look and feel that is youthful, give it a feel that is reflective of African-American culture. I think he had the sense early on that junior golfers would end up being really important to Society 61. Mm -hmm. So he has sizes for juniors. And those apparel items tend to be more challenging sometimes to find that have a, a style or a fit that's reflective of being a young person. And so that's how Society 61, the apparel company, came about. Got it. Got it. And at the show, talking about that youthful look, you had two amazing young ambassadors who are very good players in their own right too. Not only do they look good, but they can play amazing golf from what I understand. And they were certainly rocking the Society 61 look. So tell us about those two young ambassadors who I had the chance to meet there. Absolutely. When we made the decision to come to the PGA show and Society 61 had not been there before, mm -hmm. we can certainly share our apparel, but we really came to share our message about building this movement and being a part of an existing movement, but also pushing that movement in some different ways mm. around diversifying the industry. And we knew that if we brought two of our junior golfers from our eligible for membership junior golf league, there's that phrase again, we'll come back to that, that that would be a clear representation of our message, because this is who we're doing it for. So Blaine Brown, who is an extraordinary elite ranked golfer, won the Nota Begay longest drive competition at that tournament and did very well. So Blaine came with us along with Josiah Joseph, who is a really skilled golfer, incredible athlete, who has made the decision recently just to focus on his golf. And he's a triplet. But as you could see with both of them, poised, energetic, personable, happy to be there, bright, intelligent, sunny. So we knew that they would represent the brand incredibly, but they would represent themselves as well. I agree. They are, they are fine young people when I have the chance to talk to them. So the PGA show, let's talk about that experience since Society 61 had not been there. Sounds like that was your first time being there also. So as far as expectations, maybe you didn't have any, maybe you're just completely open-minded, but at the end of the three and a half days coming out the other side, what really inspired and impressed you and maybe some things that let you down or discouraged you? I'm sure there was a bit of both. So just be open here and let me know uh, both sides of the coin here of what your experience was like. We thought about it and we didn't go into it with a lot of expectations. I think that when you go to a merchandise show that is as large as the PGA show is, and you've never been there, it's going to be at points overwhelming and it's going to be overstimulating. Mm -hmm. um, because if you understand how that kind of show floor gets built and you know the size exhibit booth that you have, everything is going to feel smaller where you are, but yet it is so massive. So 
For us, prior to coming to the show, we got asked to be a part of the Share Your Story panel that Jim Beatty was coordinating along with Kenny Sims from the PGA. And that was a big check mark because we came there to share our message. Yes. You know, we designed the booth all around messaging. We certainly, as you saw, had the apparel there, but we had big images from a messaging perspective. So being on that panel, being on the main stage for that, we thought that was nice. That was cool because we got to really, again, share our message. I can say that on some ways, the location of where we were, even though we selected it, if we were doing it again, we would select a different place and space. We have the thought and we believe that because there are so few African-American businesses that they need to really consider creating a marketplace area where those businesses can be together. Right. It's our understanding that they used to have this kind of cultural zone. Because when I finally got to walk around, which was not until about day two late in the day, I noticed something in the innovation zone that they had which was everybody that has a new development or creation, they were all together. They had a stage there. They had people on the stage talking, but the common ground that was there made sense. We know this industry has to be updated, the culture of it. See, when you say you want to diversify then that means that you're willing to make changes that you've not ever thought of making. You're willing to think differently or open up your mind in different ways. And so I don't think we have a lot of disappointments. We got what we wanted to get out of it. We did make some connections. And I said to people, I'll take your information. We'll follow up with you. But don't give us your information if you're not going to respond back. Right. And we've had some of that. We tend to be pretty straight at it and transparent, but I thought the show was interesting. We were able to put a product in the new product zone, but it's a massive environment. So you have to understand how can you work this? And I do think it starts with how in the world do you set up your actual booth, no matter where it's located? And are you clear on what you want to get out of this. I mean, one of the things we did in advance of the show was talking points for the team that we brought there. They were designed so that they could easily be put in a mobile format. And it was very clear. We're here to say that this is about the next, the next generation of legends. Yes, yes. We are now going to take a short break to tell you about something new from the Mod Golf Podcast. I'm excited to announce the launch of the Mod Golf Pro Shop, where you, as part of our Mod Golf community, receive exclusive discounts on curated golf products that I love and support. We are partnering with DeWiz, Deuce, Kinona, Back to Basics Golf, Project 72 Golf, and Odin Golf to provide a curated selection of golf essentials to help you play better and look great while you're doing it. Use promo code MODGOLF for between 10 and 20% off your purchases to receive the best exclusive pricing that our partners offer. Go to www.modgolfpodcast.com to check out the golf gear that our fabulous brand partners are ready to deliver to your doorstep. That's the Mod Golf Pro Shop 
at www.modgolfpodcast.com. So you talk about messaging, and I'd like to expand that into what you're doing with Society 61 Foundation. So can you tell us about that platform and what you're creating there, why you're creating it, and the connection that it has with the apparel brand and, and what you look to achieve with the messaging there? The Society 61 Foundation is the place where we really can provide the messaging around this movement to update the culture of golf and truly expand the pipeline. Yes, the foundation is also obviously paying homage to the history of golf, but those two things are the clear focal points of what we know we have been really called to therefore do. For us, we are focusing on African-American and other minority junior golfers who are skilled and want to take their game to the elite level. We understand that this group, many of whom may be urban, inner city, maybe junior golfers who can play, 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 but have never, ever been seen. Others who play competitively, play in all the tours that you're supposed to, but boy, is it costing their families an awful lot of money to be able to do that. So number one, we know that you have to be committed to supporting those junior golfers from A to Z. Mm -hmm. Everything that they need, whether you're talking about PGA coaches for them to have so that their skill in terms of the clubs that they're using, the swing that they have, that those things are being guided by that kind of professional. Tournament fees, accessories, clothing, and all kinds of other support for their family around this industry, the tournaments that they should play in, the ones that they shouldn't. So we made a commitment to be in the game in that way, not half in it, but all the way in it. We have our eligible for membership junior golf leagues. And what we really believe is that we need to plant these leagues throughout the country. Mm -hmm. First league is in Los Angeles, two locations, uh, Chester, Washington, historic golf club in Los Angeles, as well as Knollwood Country Club. The league experience started last year. We're in our second series now. We're looking at other communities to put the league in. In California, we've been getting requests, but also in Charlotte, so we'll see and determine the, the first place we'll put it on the East Coast. But the importance of the league is a few different areas. Number one, when you deal with African-American and other minority cultures, you're dealing with oral-based communities. And oral-based communities are very big on having a connection. Yes. Right? So it's important for us to bring these young people together, but what it does is it creates a place for them. It creates a space for them. And now they are together with other minority junior golfers who have the same lived experiences as they do. So what that does is even if you're at a tournament and you're the only or one of a few, that provides even more confidence. Mm. Secondly, it's important for them and their families to know 
we're going to make sure that you get the connection you should across this industry. Whether we're talking college coaches or whether we're talking about understanding that this industry could be a career path for you. And if you decide that it's a career path, we're going to give you all the information in order to make an informed decision. We've designed the league with intentionality. There are three core areas that we focus on. We focus on golf and we focus on academics. They are all students. They are all in school because they range in age from 10 through high school, so 17 or 18 years old. And so we have PGA coaches and we have this six-point performance plan. So that's very important to us. Second, we have a whole program around practice. It's important that practice is intentional. You practice for a reason. And then lastly, the piece that is also important is being more innovative and in how you make sure that young people get seen, hmm. right? Pushing a bit to say, hey, look, if we create these video profiles and we make sure that college coaches have told us this is what we would want to see, and you're able to see the skill and the talent, we can minimize the fact that we have some students who are good, really good, but have never, ever been seen. So we look at and find ways through our own platforms, whether it be our EFM podcast, Society 61 TV, but that's important for us to do as well. I like to say that we're pretty clear. We're incredibly focused. We're not playing around. This is not a little thing. This is big. And this is big in our minds and we're giving everything we have because we believe in and know that these young people, they deserve to see this industry in a way that we have not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So with the Society 61 Foundation, I'm assuming it's a registered nonprofit that you have set up there? Yeah, so how can our listeners, if they want to learn more, at the end of the show, as always, I will talk about how people can connect with you and Society 61. But right now, with Society 61 Foundation, where can our listeners go if they want to learn more and perhaps even donate to the cause? So, so no, tell us absolutely. how people can connect there. Uh, we would love for you to go to society61.org. You will be able to learn about what I just talked about in addition to the various branded events that we will be implementing and planning and designing for minority junior golfers that ranges from tournaments to matches. You can absolutely be a financial partner. We appreciate that. We would love that. You'll see the donate button here, there, and everywhere because that is important in this work. And we know that we're approaching the work differently than much of the industry has in the past or currently does. We understand that you have to be bold and bodacious. People might say push outside the envelope or push the door open, whatever phrase that you want to use, but you do need to be innovative. I'll be repetitive here, and that's part of updating the culture. We know things are changing when it comes to golf. We understand that. That's good. 
one of the things I said at the PGA show when we were on the Share Your Story panel, we believe this at Society 61. If the African-American businesses are not embedded in the industry, we won't reach our diversity goals. We should want the golf industry to wake up every morning and see her reflection in the mirror and it really truly look like all of those who play this game. But it's equity, it's leveled, it's equality. Some juniors never get to play on a phenomenal course, but then yet others do. Mm-hmm. And then we go to the tournament and the playing field wasn't level from the beginning. So I'm curious to learn with your young elite golf athletes, how do you connect with them or find them? How can parents or friends or relatives that know these kids have the talent and the desire and the potential? So how do they connect then and find out about Society 61? How is that connection made? How has that worked in the past? Yeah, in a mix of ways. Uh, the primary way has been other golf clubs who are working with and developing minority junior golfers have been feeding golfers who are now at that skilled level, who have the potential to become elite to our program. So for instance, T-Divas and T-Dudes out of Los Angeles, that would be an example of that kind of collaboration and partnership. In addition, we have some instances where parents found us, caregivers found us. That is starting to certainly happen. The power and the reach of social media, you absolutely find folks reaching out to say, wow, are you going to do this here? How can we learn more? Is it possible for the participation of a junior who is somewhere else? So it's a mix. And that's the thing that you want. So the good news is that the word of mouth is positive. The word of mouth is happening. The word of mouth is expanding. We haven't had to do much proactive outreach. However, we are going to do more of that so that we keep having, no matter where we are, a massive understanding of really how many minority junior golfers exist in any particular market. Got it. Got it. You had talked about collaboration, whether you're a scrappy startup or a for nonprofit foundation, the power of partnerships will propel you forward. And you touched on that a little bit. Where do you see the potential for partnering elsewhere? I know that the work that I've done and my connectivity with the PGA of America, with PGA Works and Make Golf Your Thing, and there's all these other platforms and sometimes they're siloed not that they don't want to play nice but they're doing their own thing and that's the real potential to bring things together and work together where do you see the other organizations and opportunities out there to partner to really push the message forward and have even more impact with society 61 foundation Let us take that on a couple of levels. Society 61 has been having conversations with African-American businesses that are in this space that have expressed their commitment to diversify the industry. And in those conversations, we have said, 
we believe that African-American businesses need to lead this movement. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, we should be collectively working together and that we're open to collaborate, connect, and be in partnership in that way. But for us, it all has to be very authentic. And we are looking for those kinds of partnerships where the creative thinking is there, the egos are left outside the door, and we all understand that you will always continue to move your business forward, but this movement requires us to be together in sync, in a synergy, moving the objective and getting to the goal that we all can now smile about because we see the reflection of ourselves in this experience, in this industry, in the way that we should be. So for us, that's where the conversation around partnership, connection, collaboration has to start. We have come across a few African-American businesses that speak this language, that sing the songs that we do. So we are working on those partnerships. When it comes to the established organizations of the golf industry, we've been having some conversations because it's important to even understand, is a partnership possible? Conversations with entities help you to understand, like we were talking to AJGA yesterday, where are they? How do they think? Are they at a point where they speak a language that says, we want to do something differently? Or do they speak the language of who they are and who they may have been? Mm -hmm. That is something we want to know because we don't want to waste our time and we don't want to waste anyone else's time. There are ways that we could all work together right now, but the readiness of that may or may not be there. Right. And that's okay. Because again, we do believe that African-American businesses, minority businesses should actually be leading a movement to diversify industry because we understand how to reach our audiences in ways that others don't. And quite frankly, we all know the data and whether the article says less than 1%, less than 10%, what we know is that the reflection of us across the industry is not there. And so for some reason, let's just take from 1961 to where we are in 2023, it hasn't been able to happen in, again, a way that would make us all smile and make us all proud. 62 years is a long time. It's a long time. We're comfortable with stating our focus. We're comfortable with being transparent. We're comfortable with pushing. I do this in my work. I was just on a, on a Zoom where I had to do that a little bit because we're about the movement. Society 61 has been called and is here to do this. And you cannot be timid in a movement. If we think about you and I, Colin, the magnificent movements that have changed the world, nobody was timid. Everybody woke up every day and that's what they were focused on. Nobody was sitting there thinking about self. They were focused on the movement. And there's plenty of money to make when it comes to the golf industry. 
So we all can do that based upon the product or the services that we're providing. But we're just saying the movement is a priority for us, and that's what we're here for. And we're putting every bit of sweat that we have into it because at some point, somebody has to be urgent. We can't just keep saying, oh, well, it's going to organically happen over time when it hasn't happened. No. And because you have to push it, move it, and everybody has to be collectively saying, oh, no, 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 no. We will not stop until we have a satisfaction with what we see, with change actually being a reflection in our eyes when we go to a junior tournament and we really now can visually see the number of African-American and other minority junior golfers, or we really can tell you there's so many black businesses and other minority businesses in the space, we can't even count them. So we're learning about the PGA, how they see collaboration and partnership, make golf your thing, everyone. We've had those conversations, we'll have them, and then we'll get clear. Got it. Got it. Well, I'm only starting to get to know you as a, as a person, but I can feel that unfiltered energy and passion and commitment that just runs through you. And even when I was at your booth there, I can just feel everybody else was picking up on your energy and it was infectious, which is fantastic. So to finish up here, I wanted to ask you this. You tell some stories when we were in, in Orlando. So I know you're a good storyteller. So share with us a story, maybe one or two, maybe a young man and a young woman, an elite level player, what you consider a success story, their journey that puts a smile on your face of the success that they've had so far with the work that's being done with Society 61 Foundation. I'll tell you something we just did recently. I talked earlier about the importance of minority junior golfers having a sense of community and a connectedness and a place and knowing that there's a space. We certainly want to create events where they are together. And so on a very small scale, one of our board members, his name is Scott McHugh, and he is over membership intake at the Farms Golf Club in Southern California in San Diego, which is extraordinary. Hmm. We took four of our junior golfers and one guest you had these elite junior golfers playing together. There were two females, African-American, three males, one African-American, two from the Latino community, ranging in age from 13 to 17, playing at a phenomenal golf course together. We had the boys to play the girls and we did some other matches in the round. That is what we want to see on a big scale. And so when you see the videos and you see the photos and you see the smiles and you see the laughter and you see the fun and you see the intensity and you see the competition, and then you see them also try to wrestle with this course because you got to know where to put the ball. And we did that. And that's the moment of the possibility. Mm. And those are the pictures you have to also create for yourself because that's the, oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's happening. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It can. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Look at this. So if we take that and we multiply that and we know what can be done and we know that our kids have the talent and they all must keep having the opportunity, 
-hmm. It fuels the mission. It fuels the board. And I was so glad that Chris was there, the CEO, and that's what we all have to see. Yeah, you're creating this tremendous platform that generates shared experiences and collective memories and just breeds confidence with these young elite players. It's fantastic. I just love what you're doing here. So, Jewel, thank you so much for sharing all of this today with myself and our Mod Golf podcast audience. But before we go here, could you please share with us where our listeners can learn more about Society 61 and again with the Society 61 Foundation? And even I know you're very active on social media, whether it's Instagram, let us know the best place where they can see themselves some of these experiences that you are creating. Yeah, we have a wonderful Instagram. It's at Society61. You will see a lot of beautiful images, certainly. You will see our junior golfers. You will see videos of our leagues, of Black golf historians educating you on the history. You will see our story, the way we sing, the way we gather, you will see a reflection of the culture that is Society 61. You can also see the apparel at society61.com. And you know what? I need to say this. We have put everything down to $25 because we're making room for the next wave and the next collection. So now is a time to go and really get a really great sale. Anyone listening here that has programs. We are doing some things where folks have started to ask us who have different golf clubs, can we buy your apparel and put our logo on it? We've been doing that lately. And we also have been asked and we can put our apparel in some different golf courses in the pro shop. So if you've got scenarios where our apparel might work as product, let us know. And on the foundation side, society61.org. We would love for you to go there, learn more, be a financial partner in this movement that we are building in many ways to really update the culture of this industry and expand the pipeline so that we can take those skilled junior golfers to the elite level, ensure that they have the opportunity to play at the college level if that's what they want to also do, have a career in golf if that is of interest to them, but make sure that this industry is a reflection of this world. All right, all right. So as I always do, I will include the links to all of what you just put there in the show notes. I will also create a bio page for you, Jules, so our listeners can also find out more about you personally there. And yes, I do encourage our listeners to check out Society 61. Great deals that you just mentioned there on your awesome apparel. Really do love what you're doing there. Why don't we just leave it at that? So Jewel Love, who again is a board member and advisor with Society 61, the apparel, and also the foundation. Thank you so much for spending time with me here today on the Mod Golf Podcast. I've I've learned a ton. Love your energy and love everything that you're helping to make happen. Thank you. You are a joy to talk to, and I got to tell you, you were you were the best. You were one of the best 
folks to meet at the PGA show and you were so wonderful with our juniors and we appreciate, uh, we don't take it lightly, we're very humbled whenever someone wants to hear what we have to say. So thank you for having Society 61. It's my pleasure. So that's a wrap for this episode of the Mod Golf Podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation about entrepreneurship in the golf industry, you can find more compelling episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen in. And don't forget to subscribe to the show on our homepage to hear about upcoming episodes and to enter our latest golf product giveaway. I'm your host, Colin Weston. Thanks very much for joining me. Bye for now.